0: Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Before we begin, I was recently informed that Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality is the 141st most popular podcast in the natural sciences category on iTunes. I'm pretty sure that really doesn't mean much, but I think we can totally crack the top 100. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate it or write a super brief review on iTunes. If you don't enjoy it, then why are you still here after over 100 episodes? Go listen to something you like! Some people are weird. Second half of Chapter 104. The Truth, Part 1, Riddles and Answers. The approaching footsteps rounded the corner.
1: What are you doing here?
0: came many simultaneous cries. Trimmed in three sets of Slytherin green and one Hufflepuff yellow stood Theodore Nott, Daphne Greengrass, Susan Bones, and Tracy Davis.
2: Where are your
0: escorts, children? said Professor Snape with mounting wrath.
2: First years must be accompanied by a sixth- or seventh-year student at all times,
0: especially you. Theodore not raised his hand.
3: We're, um, we're doing what the Gaius Legion calls a team-building exercise, see? We realized just now that none of us had tried the Hatmaster's Forbidden Chamber yet, and there wasn't much time left. And Harry Potter has authorized it, Professor. He said specifically that you mustn't interfere.
0: Severus Snape turned to glance over at where Harry Potter had tiptoed. A storm seemed to be gathering on his brow, and a dark fury in his eyes. I... maybe? There was still one hour left on Harry's time-turner, so it was possible. Harry Potter does not have that authority, the potions master said in a deceptively mild tone. Explain
2: yourselves, now.
4: Really?
0: said the form of Susan Bones.
4: Really? You're telling Professor Snape that Harry Potter authorized the mission. That's your idea of a bluff?
0: The young Hufflepuff turned to Professor Snape and spoke, her voice strangely firm.
4: Professor, this is the truth and it's urgent. Draco Malfoy is missing and we think he went down there.
0: If
2: Mr. Malfoy is missing, why have the orders not been notified?
4: Because of, because of reasons,
0: cried Daphne Greengrass.
4: There's no time. You've got to
2: let us through. Are you four morons under the impression that you are on some sort of adventure? Well, you are mistaken. I assure you that Mr. Malfoy has not passed through this door.
4: We think Mr. Malfoy has an invisibility cloak. Do you remember the door seeming to open for no reason?
2: No. Now be gone from here. This place is off limits for today.
4: This is Dumbledore's forbidden corridor,
2: Tracy said.
4: The headmaster himself said nobody was to come here. Who do you think you are forbidding it to?
2: Miss Davis, you need to stop associating with Gryffindors, especially those named Lavender Brown. And if you are still here in one minute, I will file papers requesting your transfer into that
0: house.
4: You wouldn't dare! Huh.
0: Susan Bones said, her face screwed up in concentration.
4: Professor Snape, do you occasionally open the door yourself to check on whatever's inside?
0: Professor Snape froze in place. Then he spun and put his right hand on the metal knocker. Harry was watching the hand on the knocker, so he didn't notice what Professor Snape was doing with his left hand until he heard the sudden outcry. No, in fact, said Professor Snape, now holding the choking head of Draco Malfoy by his collar, though the rest of Draco was still underneath his invisibility cloak. A fine try, though. What? cried Tracy and Daphne. Susan Bones hit herself in the forehead.
4: (sighs) I can't believe I fell for that.
2: So, Mr. Malfoy, you sent your friends here on a ruse, just in the hopes that you could pass through this door? Now why would you do that?
3: I think we should trust him. Mr. Malfoy, we've got to trust him. He's the only
0: professor who would take our side. No! cried Draco's floating head, from where Professor Snape was still grasping his collar. You mustn't say anything! Stop! We've got to take the chance! Professor Snape... Mr.
3: Malfoy finally worked out what has been going on this whole year. And why? Dumbledore is trying to get the Philosopher's Stone away from Nicholas Flamel! Because Dumbledore doesn't think anybody ought to have immortality. So Dumbledore tried to convince Flamel that a Dark Lord was coming back and needed the stone to revive, and asked Flamel to give it to him. But Flamel wouldn't. And instead, Flamel put the stone in the magic mirror that's down there, and Dumbledore is finding out right now how to get to it, and then he will come for it, and we've got to get to it first. Dumbledore really will be all-powerful if he gets the
0: Philosopher's Stone.
4: What? That's not what you said before! It doesn't matter,
0: Daphne said. She looked frightened, but determined.
4: Professor Snape, please, you have to believe me. I looked at the books Hermione checked out of the library, and she was researching the Philosopher's Stone just before someone killed her. Her notes said that something dangerous might happen if the stone stays inside the mirror too long. We have to get it out of the castle right away.
0: Susan Bones now had both hands over her face.
4: I'm not with them. I just came along to prevent anything even stupider from happening.
0: Severus Snape was staring at Theodore Knot and the others. Then he turned his head to look at Draco Malfoy. Mr. Malfoy, how did you come to discover Dumbledore's plot? I deduced it from evidence. Professor Snape's head swiveled back to Theodore Knot.
2: How did you intend to obtain this stone from inside a magic mirror that could supposedly baffle Dumbledore himself? Answer me at once.
3: We're going to take the whole mirror and send it back to Flamel. It's not like we want the stone for ourselves. We just need to stop Dumbledore from stealing it.
0: Professor Snape nodded, as though confirming something, and turned his head to look at the other students.
2: Tell me, have any of you noticed one of the others behaving in an unusual fashion? especially if there's a peculiar object that they have in their possession, or they can use spells a first-year should
0: not know. Professor Snape's right hand now pointed his wand at Susan Bones.
2: I see that Miss Greengrass and Miss Davis are trying not to look at you, Miss Bones. If there is a mundane explanation, you would be wise to offer it
0: immediately. Susan Bones's hair turned bright red, though her face didn't change.
4: I suppose there's not much point in keeping it mum any longer, since I'm graduating in two days anyway. Double Witches get to graduate six years early? That's not fair!
2: Bones is a Double Witch? No, she is Nymphadora Tonks, a metamorphmagus. Masquerading as another student is extremely against regulation, as you are well aware, Miss Tonks. It is not too late to expel you from Hogwarts two days before your graduation, which would be a dreadful tragedy. Uh, From your perspective, that is. From my perspective, it would be hilarious. Now tell me, what exactly are you doing here?
4: That explains it. Um, is there actually a Susan Bones, or is the house dying out so they had you secretly...
0: The red-haired form of Susan Bones had a palm to her face.
4: Yes, Miss Greengrass, there's a real Susan Bones. She only sends me in when you lot are about to get into ridiculous amounts of trouble. Professor Snape, the reason I'm here is because Draco Malfoy was missing, and this lot insisted on trying to find him instead of calling the Aurors, for reasons the real Miss Bones said there was no time to explain to me, which I now realize were stupid. But young students must never go alone and must be accompanied by a sixth or seventh year at all times. And now we found Draco Malfoy, and we can all go back. Please, before this gets any more ridiculous. What in Merlin's name is going on here?
0: Ah, Professor Sprout, I perceive. Said Professor Snape, who was still pointing the wand at the red-haired form of Susan Bones, his other hand still grasping the collar below the disembodied head of Draco Malfoy, standing next to the crumpled form of the defense professor.
4: It's not what it looks like?
0: volunteered Tracy Davis. The short, dumpy form of the herbology professor stormed forwards. She had, by this point, drawn her wand, though she wasn't pointing it at anyone.
4: I don't even know what this looks like. Down wands, all of you, right now. Including you, Professor.
0: Distraction. The thought came to Harry with sudden clarity. Whatever he was watching now, from where he stood invisibly and well back of the action, it wasn't what was really going on. It wasn't the true thread of the story. It had been arranged. Professor Sprout's arrival had broken Harry's suspension of disbelief. Things like that didn't happen just for the sake of comedic coincidence. Someone was deliberately causing all this chaos. But what was the point? Harry really hoped he hadn't gone back in time and done this, because it did seem like the sort of thing he would do. Severus Snape lowered his wand. His other hand unfisted Draco Malfoy.
2: Professor Sprout, I am here on the headmaster's orders to watch this door. Everyone else is not supposed to be here, and I ask that you see them cleared away.
4: A likely story. Why would Dumbledore set you of all people to guard the door to his playground? It's not as if he wants to keep the students out. Oh no, they need to go in and get stuck in my devil's snare. Susan, dear, you have a communications mirror, don't you? Use it to call the auras
0: The watching Harry nodded to himself. That was the point. The Aurors would take away everyone present at this terribly confusing situation, no excuses accepted, and then the door would be unguarded. But was Harry meant to go into the Forbidden Corridor himself? Or watch to see who finally came once all the others were gone? A loud fit of hacking and coughing (coughs) caused everyone to look at where the defense professor lay.
1: Snape, listen. Why sprout here?
0: The potions master looked down. Memory
1: charm implies professor.
0: The defense professor began coughing again. What, And the logic unfolded in Harry's mind in crystalline dismay. All the steps already suspected. The dreadful realization coming as a repetition with greater confidence. Someone had memory-charmed Hermione to believe she'd tried to kill Draco. Only a Hogwarts professor could have done it without alarm. So all the true mastermind needed to do was legitimize or imperious a Hogwarts professor. And the last person anyone would suspect would be the head of House Hufflepuff. Snape's head snapped around as Professor Sprout raised her wand, and the Potions Master managed to raise a wordless translucent ward between them. But the bolt that shot from Professor Sprout's wand was a dark brown that produced a surge of awful apprehension in Harry's mind, and the brown bolt made Severus's shield wink out before they touched, clipping the Potions Master's right arm even as he dodged. Professor Snape gave a muffled shriek and his hand spasmed, dropping his wand. The next bolt that came from Sprout's wand was a bright red the color of a stunning hex, seeming to grow brighter and move faster even as it left her wand, accompanied by another surge of anxiety, and that blew the potions master into the door, dropping him motionless to the ground. By that time, pink-haired Susan Bones was surrounded by a multifaceted blue haze, and she was firing hex after hex at Professor Sprout. Professor Sprout was ignoring the hexes to summon plant tendrils that entangled the younger students as they tried to run, except Draco Malfoy, who had again vanished beneath his invisibility cloak. Not Susan Bones stopped casting hexes. She leveled her wand, took a deep breath, and cried aloud an incantation that sent golden worms of light chewing into the shield around Professor Sprout. At that, the herbology professor turned to face Not-Susan, her expression vacant, a new set of plant tentacles rising in the air behind her. Those stalks were a darker green, and seemed to have shields of their own. Harry Potter murmured to the seemingly empty air, Attack Sprout. Help, Bones. Non-lethal only. Yes, ma'am. whispered was Lestrange beneath Harry's cloak of invisibility, and the fifth-year Slytherin's presence moved off toward the fight. Harry looked down at his own hands and saw with a jolt of unpleasant shock that his disillusionment charm wasn't as complete as it had been before. There were hints of distortion in the air each time Harry moved. Slowly, Harry stepped backward until he came to a corner and ducked behind a wall. Then he took out his communications mirror, which was blank and jammed, of course. Harry levitated the mirror to where he could use it to see around the corner and watch the end of the... Distraction? What was happening? Why? Professor Sprout and the form of Susan Bones were dueling in flashes of light and leaves, and the blazing green of a greater drill hex erupted from mid-air and chewed halfway through the outer layer of Professor Sprout's shields. The Herbalgy Professor turned and fired a broad wash of yellow at where the drill hex had come from, but the spell didn't seem to hit anything. Yellow blazes, blue facets, dark green plant tendrils, and swirling purple flower petals— It was when Professor Sprout started firing arcs of crimson in all directions that one of the crimson blades caught something in mid-air, the invisibility cloak not concealing how the crimson arc was absorbed and winked out, and Lasoth's presence beneath the invisibility cloak fell to the ground. And that gave Not Susan Bones time enough to stand still, catch her breath, and scream something that inspired We're in Harry another surge of dread. And the white spark that blazed out went through Professor Sprout's two shields and her plant armor and dropped her. Not Susan Bones went to her knees, panting, her robe soaked in sweat. Her head turned to look around her, at the bodies lying stunned on the floor or wrapped in vines.
4: What? What?
0: What? There was no reply. The victims entangled in Professor Sprout's vines weren't moving, though they did seem to be breathing.
4: Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. Where are you? Are you there? Call the Aurors already. Merlin, dammit! Hominum Revelio.
0: And Harry found himself visible again, staring in his mirror at the form of Draco Malfoy, half visible beneath a shimmering cloak, standing behind Not-Susan, pointing his wand at a gap in Not-Susan's blue haze. Harry's mind moved in flashes of insight, too slow and yet too fast, even as Harry's mouth opened and he inhaled in preparation to shout, Beware the constellation. There was a constellation named Draco. If you could control a professor, you could control a student. Doc! Harry shouted, but it was too late. A bolt of red light caught the back of Susan's head point-blank, smashing her to the floor. Harry stepped around the corner and said, Somnium! 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 Draco Malfoy's shimmering form collapsed in a heap. Harry took a moment to catch his breath. Then Harry said, "Stupefy." and verified that yes, the stunning hex did hit Draco Malfoy's form. You could be mistaken about whether a Somnium had really hit. Harry had seen enough horror movies, not to mention the business with the Sunshine Regiment, that he wasn't about to make that error again. After a further reflection on this, Harry cast another stunning hex into the prostrate form of Professor Sprout. Harry gripped his wand, staring at the scene, breathing heavily from the exhaustion. He didn't have enough magic left to cast a messenger Patronus to Dumbledore, and he really, really should have thought of that possibility immediately this time around. Harry started to reach back to where his mirror had fallen to see if it was now unjammed. And then Harry hesitated. His note to himself had said to avoid notice from Aurors, and Harry still did not know what was going on. The crumpled form of Professor Quirrell gave another series of racking coughs, reached out a hand to the wall beside him, and slowly pulled himself to his feet.
1: Harry,
0: are you there? It was the first time Professor Quirrell had ever called him by his first name. I'm here! Without any conscious thought, his feet were moving forward. Please,
1: I haven't much time. Please. Take me to the mirror. Help me get
0: the stone. The Philosopher's Stone? Harry glanced around at the scattered bodies, but he couldn't see Draco anymore. The revealment had worn off. You think Mr. Knot was right? I don't think Dumbledore would... not Dumbledore, because Sprout. I understand. If Dumbledore had been the one behind it all, he wouldn't have needed to mind-control a professor in order to use memory charms.
1: Mirror, ancient relic, could hide anything. Stone could be there. Many others want stone. One sent sprout.
0: Harry repeated rapidly, The mirror down there is an ancient relic that can be used to hide things, and it would be one possible place to hide the Philosopher's Stone. If the Philosopher's Stone is inside the mirror, then any number of people might want to get it. One of them is controlling Sprout, and that would explain what their goal really is. Only... That doesn't explain why Sprout's controller would go after Hermione.
1: Harry, please.
0: Professor Quirrell's breathing was yet more labored now. His voice came with excruciating slowness.
1: It's the one thing that can save my life. And I find now I don't want to die. Please help me.
0: And somehow, that tore it. Somehow, that was a little too much. The sense of detachment that had come over Harry when Professor Sprout had arrived, the broken suspension of disbelief, was returning, his inner critic weighing up everything as though it were a set piece. Timing, probability, so many people showing up at the same door the defense professor's desperation, this whole situation didn't feel real. But he might be able to solve it if he just took time to think things through in advance, instead of running off at Adventure's first call. All the accumulated experience from the last year had finally crystallized into something like a touch of battle-hardening. An instinct born of past disaster was telling Harry that if he just rushed on ahead, he would end up afterward in a sad conversation, realizing that he'd been stupid. Again. Let me think. Let me think for a minute before we go. He turned away from the defense professor, looking at the unconscious bodies draped in various shapes over the floor. There'd been so many puzzle pieces already this last year. Maybe everything would just fall into place with one more piece.
1: Harry. Harry. I'm dying.
0: One more minute can't make the difference. He's had the whole year to be sick. It's improbable that his life versus death would be precisely time to rest on this last minute no matter what happened to Hermione. I know! I'll think quickly! Harry stared at the bodies and tried to think. There was no time for doubts, for caveats, no breaks or second-guessing. Just take the first thoughts and run with them! In the back of Harry's mind, fragments of abstract thought filtered past, heuristics of problem-solving that there was no time to rehearse into words. In wordless flashes, they shot past, to set up the object-level problem. What do I notice I am confused by? The first place to look for a problem is in whatever aspect of the situation seems most improbable. Simple explanations are more probable. Eliminate separate improbabilities that must be postulated. Professor Snape had already been here. Then Professor Quirrell had arrived. Then Harry had arrived via time-turner. Then the adventuring party had arrived, and Draco had been revealed part of the party. Then Professor Sprout had shown up. Too many people had shown up synchronously, and that was too much coincidence. It was improbable that so many different parties would show up at the same location within a five-minute window. There had to be hidden entanglements. Label Sprout's controller as the mastermind, who had ordered Hermione memory-charmed. The mastermind had sent Sprout. Professor Snape had said that the headmaster had sent him to guard the door after there'd been some sort of disturbance. If the mastermind had caused that as a distraction, then that explained Severus's presence as well. Harry wasn't sure anymore that Draco had been controlled by the mastermind. That hypothesis had come to him in the spur of the moment. Draco might have just been trying to drop Not-Susan so he could get into the corridor unhindered. No, that was the wrong way to think. Turn it around. Try to explain the timed presence of Draco and his adventuring party. No time for self-questioning. Run with the hypothesis. Therefore, suppose Sprout's mastermind had sent Draco or triggered his coming. That was three arrivals explained. Harry had shown up because his note to himself had told him to do so. That could be attributed to time travel. That left the defense professor, who'd said he was following Snape. Only that didn't really seem like an adequate reason for Professor Quirrell to show up. It didn't really make Harry feel less confused. And so, maybe the mastermind had also controlled the timing of Professor Quirrell's presence somehow, and even arranged for Harry himself to enter the time loop. Harry's mind hit a stumbling block. He couldn't see how to extend that reasoning further. There was no time to stare blankly at stumbling blocks. Without any pause or breaking, Harry's mind attacked the problem from a new angle. Professor Quirrell had deduced a controlled Hogwarts professor from the need for some professor to memory charm Hermione, which meant that Professor Sprout's controller had framed and then murdered Hermione which meant Professor Sprout's controller had detailed information about Hogwarts' life and maybe a personal interest in the boy who lived and his friends. Harry's mind finally threw up the relevant memory, Dumbledore saying that Lord Voldemort's strongest road to life was hidden here inside Hogwarts. Run with the hypothesis. So that resurrection tool was the Philosopher's Stone hidden inside the mirror. Why had Dumbledore put the mirror into a corridor first years could get through? No, ignore this question, it's not important right now. And Professor Quirrell had said the Philosopher's Stone possessed great healing power, so that part also fit. But if it was the Philosopher's Stone that was hidden in the mirror to keep it away from the Dark Lord, that meant the mirror also contained the one thing in the world that could save the Defense Professor's life. Harry's mind tried to hesitate, to flinch away, feeling a sudden apprehension as to where this was going. But there was no time allowed for hesitation. And that was also far too much coincidence, just too much improbability if your mind didn't write it off as an amazing plot twist like you were inside a story. Could the putative Dark Lord also be manipulating Professor Quirrell so that Professor Quirrell would discover his supposed salvation at the right time so that Harry and Professor Quirrell would go get the resurrection tool from the mirror that might not even actually be the Philosopher's Stone, and then the Dark Lord's avatar or some other servant would show up and seize it from them? That would explain all the synchronicities and negate every coincidence. Or Professor Quirrell had known from the beginning that the one thing that could save his life was hidden inside this mirror, and that was why he had agreed to teach defense at Hogwarts, and now he was finally trying to get it. But then, why wait until he was this sick to even try, and why had Sprout shown up at the same time as Professor Quirrell? Harry's mind faltered harder. His inner eye was looking in a direction it was afraid to look. The note I sent myself said to help the Watcher of Stars. I wouldn't send myself a note saying that if I hadn't already worked out in the future that it was the right thing to do. Maybe the note is just telling me to get on with it. A small note of confusion was promoted to conscious attention. The coded message on the parchment, one or two lines, hadn't quite sounded right hadn't sounded like the code Harry would expect himself to use. Harry, whispered the dying voice of Professor Quirrell from behind him. Harry,
1: please.
0: I'm almost done thinking, Harry's voice said aloud, and Harry realized as he spoke the words that they were true. Turn it around. Look at it from the enemy's perspective, from where the enemy does their own intelligent planning, somewhere out of your sight. There are Aurors in Hogwarts, and your target Harry Potter is now fully on guard. Harry Potter will call in Aurors at the first sign of trouble, or send a Patronus to Albus Dumbledore. Considering that as a puzzle, one creative solution is to... Forge a supposedly time-turned message to Harry Potter from himself, telling Harry Potter not to call for help, telling him to be at the place and time you want him to be. You get the target himself to bypass all the protections he set up. You even bypass his protection of skepticism with the overriding authority of his own future self's judgment. It isn't even difficult. You can memory charm some random student into remembering Harry Potter handing over an envelope to be given back to himself later. You can memory charm that student because you are a Hogwarts professor. You don't have to go to the extra effort to steal a pencil and muggle paper from Harry Potter's pouch. Instead, you forge Harry Potter's handwriting on wizard parchment. You can forge Harry Potter's handwriting because you have seen it on ministry-mandated exams you have graded. You call Draco Malfoy the constellation because you know Harry Potter is interested in astronomy, and you are a wizard and you have taken astronomy and memorized the names of all the constellations. But it's not the natural code that Harry Potter would use to describe Draco Malfoy to himself. That would have been The Apprentice. You call Professor Quirrell the Watcher of Stars and tell Harry Potter to help him. You know that Life Eater is how you say Dementor in parcel tongue, and you expect Harry Potter to think of the Aurors as being in league with them. You encode 649 as 6 and 7 in a square because you have been reading a muggle physics book that Harry Potter gave you. Who are you, then? Harry noticed his breathing had sped up, And with a burst of heart rate, Harry slowed his breath down again. Professor Quirrell was watching him. What if, hypothetically speaking, Professor Quirrell was the mastermind and had faked Harry's message, then that explained all five parties showing up, the whole synchronous coordination of the comedy, and then Professor Sprout was just controlled to give Professor Quirrell deniability, let him blame someone else for the false memory charm after the dust settled, but... but, But why would Professor Quirrell risk the fragile alliance Harry had with Draco via the attempted murder frame? That Professor Quirrell had detected and stopped, allegedly, via a tracer put on Draco. Why would Professor Quirrell kill Hermione if his first attempt to remove her hadn't worked? If Professor Quirrell was the bad guy, then he might have lied about everything to do with Horcruxes, and maybe it wasn't a coincidence at all that the only thing that could save his life was the avenue that could resurrect the Dark Lord. What if the Dark Lord had arranged that too somehow? One day, David Monroe had mysteriously disappeared, presumed dead at the Dark Lord's hands. An awful intuition had come over Harry, something separate from all the reasoning he'd done so far an intuition that Harry couldn't put into words, except that he and the defense professor were very much alike in certain ways, and faking a time-turned-message was just the sort of creative method that Harry himself might have tried to bypass all of a target's protections. And that was when Harry finally realized what should have been obvious from the very, very beginning. Professor Quirrell was smart. Professor Quirrell was smart in the same way as Harry. Professor Quirrell was smart in exactly the same way as Harry's mysterious dark side. If you had to guess when the boy who lived had acquired his mysterious dark side, the obvious guess was the night of October 31st, 1981. And, and, and Professor Quirrell had known a password that Bellatrix Black had thought identified the Dark Lord, and his presence gave the boy who lived a sense of doom, and his magic interacted destructively with Harry's, and his favorite spell was Avada Kedavra, and, and... The realization blasted through Harry like a vast dam breaking, releasing out all its water, bursting through his mind in an irresistible flood that swept everything away. There is only one reality that generates all of the observations. If different observations seem to point in incompatible directions, it means the true hypothesis is one you haven't thought of yet. And in those cases, when you finally think of the correct hypothesis, everything aligns behind it, beyond denial or horror, tearing away every doubt and every emotion that might stand in its path. And then, David Monroe and Lord Voldemort had just been one person playing both sides of the Wizarding War, and that was why the Monroe family had been killed before they could meet David Monroe, just like Moody had suspected. Reality settled down into a single known state, one coherent state of affairs that compactly generated the observation set. Harry didn't jump. Didn't change his breathing, tried not to show a single sign of the horror and agony flooding his mind. The enemy was behind him, watching him. All right, Harry said out loud as soon as he dared trust his voice to sound normal. He kept on staring at the bodies, looking away from Professor Quirrell, because Harry didn't trust his own face. Harry lifted a sleeve to wipe away the sweat on his forehead, trying to make the gesture look casual. Harry couldn't control the sweat or the rapid hammering in his chest. Let's go get the Philosopher's Stone. All Harry needed was a single moment of distraction anywhere along the way to use his time-turner. There was no reply from behind him. The silence stretched. Slowly, Harry turned around. Professor Quirrell was standing upright and smiling. In the defense professor's hand was a shape of black metal pointed at Harry's wand arm, held with the sure grip of someone who knew exactly how to use a semi-automatic handgun. Harry's mouth was dry, even his lips were trembling with adrenaline, but he managed to speak. Hello, Lord Voldemort. Professor Quirrell inclined his head in acknowledgement and said, Hello, Tom Riddle. End Chapter 104 Very special thanks this week to David Gravy, who composed the Sprout Fight music specifically for this episode. You can follow him on Twitter at the link provided at the podcast homepage. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't done so yet, please consider leaving a rating or review at iTunes. Thank you to the following people.
4: Sprout by Paula Rizzuto.
0: Severus Snape by Brian Jones.
4: Daphne Greengrass. Jesse Cotton. Casey Davis was voiced by Luppy. Lauren Housley as Susan Bones.
2: Lassaf Strange read by Eric Scow.
0: Theodore Knott by Rob Kurtz. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit LessWrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance and The Fall by Ministry. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for Chapter 105, The Truth, Part 2.